Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 16th of January. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m., this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Standing orders at the monthly meeting of Loud County Council were suspended yesterday to allow time to discuss how the CEO and the executive board of the council have, up to this point, failed to explain the basis for breaching the Local Government Act by removing a motion from the council agenda in May without consulting with the elected members, how the executive disregarded advice from a solicitor to consult with the members as it is required to by law, how it breached the Freedom of Information Act and eventually discovered 892 emails it had said didn't exist and how even after that it continues to not discover records as required by law, text and WhatsApp messages on their phones following yesterday's Council meeting, we invited uh, the CEO, Joan Martin, to discuss these issues on this programme because it seems that Joan Martin failed to address any of these issues when she spoke at the council meeting yesterday. We've been asking these questions for weeks on end now and at the meeting in County Hall yesterday the CEO took the opportunity to criticise this programme's reporting and it would seem in the strongest possible terms. So we asked Joan Martin to specifically identify any inaccuracies in our reporting on this scandal so that we could correct the record. But again, we've had no response from Louth County Council. Let's speak uh, to Conor Keelan, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor on Louth County Council. And a very good morning to you once again, Conor Keelan. And thank you indeed for joining us, because if we go back to May, when Joan Martin unilaterally decided to disallow this motion on the council agenda to prevent councillors from discussing the issue or debating the issue, uh, you were the Cahirlock. And at the time, you should have been consulted uh, as uh, the representative of uh, the elected members, as we've discussed previously. That didn't happen. You were unhappy about it. You made your feelings known and you believe that uh, the motion, which had to do with rescinding the freedom of uh, Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey, 
uh, you were very unhappy that that was not debated uh, and you've made your views very clear. Uh, do you feel any happier after listening to the chief executive speak about this at the council meeting yesterday? Well, the issue wasn't really addressed at all, frankly. Um, uh, it was um, like, you basically, you've invited the chief executive onto the air to discuss it, and you might as well, um, uh, it's reminiscent of the uh, of the empty chair um, from the famous uh, debate some years ago, I think to a Republican... Uh, uh, yeah, the presidential uh, debate, yeah. Debate mm. when, you remember when Clint Eastwood was... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, was there when okay. there was an empty chair? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. you know, whatever the mix. Yeah. And um, it's as if you're inviting them to un- the chief's excellence program, and there's like an empty chair there. Right. So, I may, I may, uh, I may as well invite Clint Eastwood up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, they would give you a conversation. Yeah, you know I mean? but 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 if Joan Martin won't uh, uh, respond uh, to these issues that are being raised uh, on this program by discussing them with this programme, if she won't respond to the concerns that councillors are raising by discussing them with councillors, uh, who is she accountable to? Well, she's accountable, first of all, to the Minister for... Um, uh, local minister government. For, um, yep. Local government who, get, who appointed her to the role. Um, uh, but she's accountable. For, she's uh, accountable to the councillors, to the elected councillors. She is, yes. Yep. Um, uh, 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 under the Local Government Act... Um, uh, we um, uh, we actually vote now under the local government act put in forward by Phil Hogan. We actually um, uh, have a role in basically voting um, uh, voting uh, in, in effect mm. like a vote of confidence in her yeah. um, in her extension of office. But know, she, but 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 she under legislation is accountable to the councillors, but. Uh, yes. Uh, she didn't give an account of her actions to you yesterday uh, it would no, seem. None of these issues were addressed. She didn't explain the legal advice as to why she withdraw, uh, withdrew the motion and she said that she won't be sharing with it with you. So it's like sort of saying um, do as you're told um, I, I did it because I, 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 that's my um, position and you'll just have to accept what I say and trust what I do. That's not really how things work in a democracy, is it? Several councillors asked for legal advice to be provided with them. It's been asked in the past and um, again it was denied. It was kids saying, oh, you know, you can ask for legal advice but I'm not going to give it to you. Someone's even said that if I give it to you legal advice, it'll be given to you, if it could be given on the micro poll. You know, like, so, like, you talk about trust hmm. and, um, so basically she's saying she can't trust the elected members. Right. Uh, and go on to the microphone and give the lead advice onto your program to uh, your listeners. You know? uh, and uh, as I understand it, uh, my name was mentioned a few times and certainly there was a lot of because, criticism uh, of this program. But as I don't think that's a good idea as okay. frankly, it's like, um, personally speaking, if, if someone isn't there in the chamber, um, uh, frankly, if they're a member of the public... You know, mm. I, I don't. I like it, I, where you live, Mike, is irrelevant. But frankly speaking, I really don't think it's um, it bodes well for um, uh, for like a senior official in local government to be actually um, making uh, making comments mm. um, 
um, of a personal nature well, about um, uh, yeah. any figure. Yeah, and, and, and I can understand that and generally I'd agree in this circumstance because it's about me. I don't mind at all uh, because, you know, fair game there's been a, a lot of comment on this programme, although... Now, now I would also point out I would also point out that the Chief Executive does say she's the legal officer of the yep. of the council. So like therefore if she thinks that she is um, if she thinks that she is um, making any uh, you know, making any comments that are very, uh, defamatory she should know. Yep, yep, but but I suppose the difference between the two is that we've always invited. There's an open invitation uh, to the yeah. chief executive uh, to discuss these issues with us on the yeah. program. But uh, what I couldn't understand, uh, and what I did take exception to, was uh, that uh, the chief executive Joan Martin was concerned that the legal advice would be heard by the listeners to this program, uh, and they're the people who are at the heart of this story because that is who uh, Joan Martin as the Chief Executive of Louth County Council is employed to serve uh, as the local radio station. We're here to serve the same people uh, and it is beyond my comprehension why the Chief Executive does not want to be accountable to the people that she is employed to serve. I am, well, as elected councillor, I am elected by uh, the people, right? Um, people, the people vote confidence in me every five years. Okay, if they don't want me to get re-elected, they can vote no confidence in me at a local election. Okay, it's quite simple. Any of your listeners can understand it, as can you. Um, and um, however, um, uh, however, um, now the, the councillor has a role. Let councillor has a role with um, the public service. Um, we have a unique role um, whereby we represent the public. We represent the interests of the public, and we have to. And to get things done on behalf of our constituents, we have to work with um, the executive, work with the local yeah. government officials, yeah. and um, to get work done on behalf of our constituents at large. So, therefore, um, but the the executive and the, and the, and the council staff have to meet us, meet us and form a partnership to get things done on behalf of the county council at large. But equally, um, the, the the council, like the local county council, is answerable to the public too. Mm. The public service is answerable to the they serve the public. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, uh, and but, but, correct, but me, point correct is, me if I'm point wrong. Is, point is, yeah. point is, Mike, is that I am, I am any councillor who's elected has a term of office. Oh yeah. Like my term is for five years, yeah. and then I you, am answer. I'm, I you, you'll be reemployed. You'll be reemployed, yeah. or you'll be shown your cards in the polling booths, and that's democracy. Yes, Cor- yes, that's Cor- what that's Correct democracy. me if I'm wrong, but um, as I under, because I wasn't there, so I'm going on uh, Ruth yeah. O'Connell's reports and what I'm hearing from other councillors as well. But correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the chief executive didn't explain how or why she decided to, to breach the local government. Act uh, because she didn't uh, impart what that legal advice uh, advised her, uh, and she certainly didn't show it. Uh, she also did. She she didn't address the issues relating to the Freedom of Information Act either. In fact, uh, I think she made it very clear in her utterances yesterday that she was in breach of the act. Um, well, 
And basically, none, none of that was dealt with at all. None of it was addressed at all. And basically, it was, it was a case of just um, ignore the wider issue at all. That was right. Mm. Well, well she, uh, the way I interpreted what was said to the council yesterday was, yeah, I did breach the Act, but it doesn't matter um, because... Uh, there was 892 emails um, that I should have discovered by law, but they weren't really relevant. Uh, and then there were 30 emails that were relevant, but I didn't discover them either. But so what? What are you going to do about it type of thing? I think it was something like four staff worked for the day on the, yeah. on the email and then, you know, we found so much and so be it. And, uh, and that's all we did, basically, mm. you know. Okay, uh, and no mention of uh, WhatsApp messages or text messages on the phones. No, no. Okay, no. so no accountability. Well, the point, like, like as I said, the elected members are accountable um, to the public. Mm. Like, like the, the, the like we're asking questions of the executive. The executive uh, branch are accountable to the public. Mm. Like the staff, uh, the staff are. Um, we have a unique role, a relationship between, um, um, like, um, if if the if we asked for legal opinion, yeah, the council's asked very point yesterday. If we ask for legal opinion of the, um, of the uh, executive mm. executive for to say why are you denying a motion to be heard in the law, mm. and the executive says to us, we're not going to give it to you. Okay. Like, what does that say? But, but, like, but, but, trust, it's trust is a trust is a is a two way currency, Mike. Mm, but but, but the councillors someone can't turn around to you and say, "I want you to trust me," and then turn around and say to you, "I don't trust you because you're not going to share information with me." So right. Okay, this is sort of sounding like a, a school teacher at the top of the class telling children um, not to be questioning why rules are in place, if you like. Uh, but uh, it's not. Well, I would point it, out as well. I've asked. I asked yesterday for. Um, asked yesterday for the entire standing orders of um, Larkin Council um, to be um, uh, reviewed and updated by the elected members, and I stress that point. Yeah. Mm. by elected members of the uh, chamber with immediate effect. Right. And I'm uh, not talking about group leaders either. I'm no. talking about not the whips, I'm talking about by all the elected members, all 29, okay. with immediate effect, as we asked. Uh, and is Louth County Council going to commission independent legal a- advice for the councillors? John Martin said you could get independent a- a- advice, but you have... Uh, the authority, as I understand it, to direct Joan Martin and her executives to commission that advice on your behalf? Well, I believe we can. Like, I was previously told that before the motion in mind that I put forward. Like, um, it was to do with, um, uh, was to do with um, saying that um, uh, whimsically, some of your, some of your uh, this is not the incident, but, um, as most of us passed at council level, um, Whereby uh, I said this, um, basically I said this, um, uh, when um, when any uh, council tenant, for example, um, this is me against this, but I said basically when any council tenant becomes, um, SC, uh, acquires new council property, mm. that um, their details should immediately uh, migrate from the uh, housing section um, to the franchise section to then inform them uh, the details should pass over, right? Mm. And I said basically that, um, like, it's just kids that are sharing within the local authority. And just saying, that I said basically the fact is, like, once you pay rent to the council, surely they should then get the details transferred over so they automatically mm. have um, 
uh, then can vote as well, you know. Yeah. And I discovered in certain states in, in, in the dark that, like, for example, that they don't automatically have, um, uh, don't automatically have um, uh, the right to vote once they're paid to the council. Right. And I've registered they're, some Because they're not registered. And this is a bit like the right uh, yeah, hand talking yeah. to the left hand. Uh, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, so what I was told then, I was told, I was told it's illegal. I was told it's illegal to actually share the data in the council from housing to the franchise. Right. So, so like, I was told I could get my own legal advice on that, but I didn't, you know. And um, mm-hmm. but like, I just thought it was it was a bit ironic and also funny, but also very strange. Like, surely they would try to like, I I tried to help the people in the franchise section as well, to actually, and the housing section too, with other stuff. But like, surely um, it's just a case of getting um. Just like I was told, I was told at one point, I was told at myself mm. uh, to get my own legal advice on that is issue. You know. Okay. Uh, uh, and here we are. And I, I would. After... That motion passed. Actually, that motion passed. Actually, by the way. Okay. Uh, the, the, despite um, the concerns about the legality of it. Uh, but h- here we are at the end of weeks of conversation uh, and I understand quite a, a lot of time, well over a, an hour uh, was given to debating this in the council chamber yesterday. Is that the end of it or what happens now? I don't know really, to be frank. Look, as far as I'm concerned, look, the matter, look, uh, look I was, you know, to be quite honest with you, like, um, uh, this issue could have been put to bed long ago if the motion had been allowed to be debated at the start and if it hadn't been told in the agenda and Council York could have had a motion debated and this issue could have been uh, yeah. in the chamber but mm. unfortunately the decision was taken to not to be heard and okay. this is what started the whole thing uh, and Damien O'Farrell has been questioning the motivation for disallowing that motion he wants to know what was the thinking what was at play was it legal advice if it was legal advice why not show the legal advice if it wasn't legal advice what was it who were the council communicating with or who communicated with the council and did that have any bearing on this decision to disallow that motion or what was the case? He's asking for explanations uh, and nobody is willing to speak on behalf of the council and explain the answers to all of these very pertinent questions. We'll be speaking with Damien, by the way, a little bit later on in the programme today. But Conor, thank you indeed for joining us once again. Conor Keelan. Thank you indeed. Fianna Fáil councillor uh, uh, who would have been the Cahirlock of Louth County Council in May when this issue really raised its head. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. School children must wear school uniforms, uh, their, their rules or face discipline as uh, the case may be. But writing in the Irish Times, Gerard O'Rean says while some teachers may relish the power that that gives them over students, many teachers are cowed into implementing these ridiculous rules. Gerard is a teacher and founder of uh, the Say to Say No to School Uniforms group. He's on the line. Good morning to you, Gerard, and thanks for joining us. Uh, why do you think the, rule, the rules uh, surrounding school uniforms are ridiculous? Well, I think school uniforms are a thing of the past. They're really a thing uh, of, of, the, of the 20th century. And uh, in Ireland of today, uh, they, it, it, I think it's ridiculous that to put children into into school uniforms, it's it's from the age of four to the age of eighteen. You know, it's it's mm. not normal. It doesn't happen in most countries in Europe, uh, and we we seem to have an obsession with uniforms in the country, and we seem to have 
uh, an idea that, you know, it must happen or that they have some educational value. They don't, and there's no evidence to back that up. Right. I think that the, the main point I'd like, to, I'd like to get across is that we should stop punishing children for the clothes that they're wearing. And I, I as a teacher, see that, uh, see that happening uh, regularly. And over my career, I've seen it happen regularly. Uh, the, the, the argument uh, for, for uniforms quite often is that it somehow uh, stops bullying. And that's not the case. That's simply not the case. Indeed, in your letter, I think you made the point that sometimes it can lead to more problems than it solves. Yes, I mean, uh, students feel that they don't belong if they're being punished for for simply the clothes that they're wearing uh, across. uh, I know when when I started teaching, Michael, uh, I don't know about you, but I was, was, uh, uh, what age you are, but I, I started teaching in 1983 and I taught for I taught for three years, and then I changed career for a while. But in 1983, in school at staff meetings, we were talking about uniforms and the hair styles, and it, it was always a big part of staff meetings. I left in 1986, but I came back in 2005. And guess what? Staff meetings were still talking about you know piercings and uniforms and the color of the the shoes and were students wearing the right shoes. And it, it it tends to be a very common topic at staff meetings. We talk a lot about it as teachers, and the reality is, you know, we don't talk about maybe more important things because we're talking about that. We don't talk about how could we as teachers, you know, uh, address bullying, how could we reduce it. We might refer to it sometimes, but it just certainly doesn't get anywhere near the same airtime as talking about, uh, you know, what's acceptable in terms of a hair colour. Mm. Is it a natural hair colour? What about somebody wearing the so- shoes that have the, a white sole or, or so on? Uh, it's it's that type of thing that uh, I think teachers. You see, uh, teachers probably when, when I was a, when I was a child, Michael, uh, fear was a big thing in school, sure. and uh, and fear uh, was was what dominated school really. Uh, I don't know. Uh, corporal punishment was a big thing at the time. You know, children were going into school and were being beaten every day. Uh, I was beaten occasionally, but there I, there were kids that were going in and they were being beaten every day. So fear of, I suppose the teachers had a fear of losing control. Mm. Okay, so and that fear of losing control is is uh, something that teachers probably carry with them still. And uh, when 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 uh, corporal punishment was banned in the eighties, uh, the thing that replaced it was you know suddenly there was an upsurge in schools that had stricter uniform codes. So the uniforms kind of replaced the the way of controlling. Uh, students and the way of, uh, I suppose, unfortunately, punishing students who were who were seen not to be uh, not to be uh, conforming. You make the point in your letter that, uh, in terms of disciplining students, it results in children being harassed, penalised, detained, and reprimanded, blotting the school records of uh, these children. Would you go so far as to say that it denies children? the opportunity of fulfilling their full potential? Well, <clears throat> I think if children aren't happy in school and if children are feeling that they don't belong, they're not going to do as well as they, as they could. They're definitely not going to do as well as they could. Um, and really, uh, you know, punishing, you know, nowadays there's data collected on everything, you know, and schools are, are likewise. Mm. So, you know, we should have a look. I think I, I would like the Department of Education to collate the data on 
punishments in school and see what are kids being punished for uh, and collect that data and publish it and see how often... I know, I think from, from speaking to uh, friends of mine who are teachers in other schools, and I think there's about 50% of the of the punishments in schools are related to uniform or piercings. Mm. And that, that's ridiculous. I mean, uh, children should be allowed to wear, wear clothes that they feel comfortable in. You know, we, we have children who are 18 years of age uh, who, who are going to be going out into the world and they're not allowed to dress themselves in the morning the way they, the, the way they would like to. So children need to be comfortable in school. They need to be able to wear clothes that suit the weather, whether it's a hot day or a cold day. And uh, and in that sense, allow them to be themselves, that we don't have you know uniforms that, uh, or, or that they have to wear clothes that, that don't suit them in, in lots of ways. Okay. Um, and we need, we need to, uh, we need to uh, allow children to express themselves we tell kids to think for themselves. Right. Know, that's the theory of it in school. We're telling kids we want you to develop your ability to, you know, think for yourself. But then we go and, you know, don't allow them to even make the basic decision of what they're going to wear in the morning. All right, but um, a, a lot of kids are very fashion conscious and fashion can be very expensive. Uh, kids could end up in school wearing clothes worth hundreds of euros and far beyond uh, the ability of one of uh, the children's family to be able to uh, afford that. And they'll stick out like a, a sore thumb. That is, of course, uh, one of uh, the big arguments for school uniforms so that you don't leave a, a child in that situation where they are different and that difference leads to the bullying that you spoke about earlier on. Well, now, uh, I'd like to just a couple of points on that. Um I mean, I've, I've spoken to students in my own school and they say that the most expensive clothes they have they have are the school uniform. Way, way more expensive than all the other clothes that they have. Um, the, the Irish League of Credit Unions, they do a, a survey every year of the cost of going to school and they estimate uh, in 2023 that a quarter of families go into debt in order to, to pay for uniforms and going back to school. Uh, so, if you think about it, uh, maybe years and years ago there was a lot of difference in in, in terms of poverty around clothes, okay? uh, and uh, students might maybe parents felt that themselves. But nowadays, most of the most of the clothes that that kids are wearing, they're bought in pennies, uh, and you could buy. I know, say in 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 the school that I'm very familiar with, you know, the uniform. If you buy full uniform and if you buy a spare trousers or a spare jumper you're going to be spending 400 euros now if you go into pennies you're going to get an awful lot of clothes for 400 euros right. uh, and that's apart from any, any you know, so we should we should stop this notion that, that uh, uniforms in some way are, are, are stopping bullying they're not I mean in terms of the point you make about difference the reality is kids are different and uh, if, if, you, if you say that we should try and make kids look the same what about their school bag, okay? Or what about their lunchbox or their pencil case or the car that they that they come into school in? Do mm. we make all of them the same? Or what about you know dealing with kids who are you know different body shapes or different skin colours or different hair colours? Okay. Do we try and make them all the same. We can't do that. We as teachers, we as educators, should focus more on uh, helping students to build their resilience, to deal and and their, to build their resilience to deal with difference and to accept the difference and to stand up for themselves if they need to. Uh, and it's kind of ridiculous in a way 
uh, shouldn't would you would you agree that you know teachers should should teach people not to be judging people for what they're wearing? Yeah? Okay, uh, well, I think we would accept that. But here we are expected as teachers to then go and judge students for what they're wearing and punish them if they're not wearing the right thing. So if we're really interested in in protecting students, uh, we we should we should stop that. We should stop this idea that uh, we're going to protect you from from being punished by other students by punishing you ourselves. Uh, does it have any influence on behaviour outside of school uh, that children can be identified uh, as children uh, who go to one school or another during lunch hour or, or, or things like that, that maybe they would behave differently uh, if uh, they weren't wearing school uniforms? Well, I don't think there's any evidence of that. In fact, I, I've, I've heard people have, have reported to me that, uh, in fact, school uniforms are put, put children in danger outside schools because it leads to kind of maybe inter-school rivalry or hassle between schools. Right. If somebody's easily mm-hmm. identifiable, identifiable as belonging to a certain school and they're walking home by themselves, they might be in a more vulnerable position there, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I, I don't think there's any, that, that argument uh, holds water that somehow uh, somehow uh, uniforms uh, protect students. Um, I mean, the, in terms of the sense of belonging to a school, uh, you know, Students get a sense of belonging from uh, participation in activities with school, from friendships, by working together, uh, by you know collaborating with teachers, by extracurricular activities. That sense of belonging that that people sometimes think that that a uniform gives it doesn't come from a uniform. The uniform is more about you know corporate image in that sense. That schools might like to have uniforms. Uh, for the corporate image of the school when it's, when a student is out and about, or you know, but mm. you know, it's, it's that's not really an educational motive. That you know, the, the the thing that that encourages a sense of belonging and uh, makes a, a student happier in school and therefore more more uh, more open to learning right. is by being accepted for who they are, not by what not, not by the clothes they're wearing. All right. Well, there's no doubt your letter prompted uh, a very. Uh, interesting response uh, from other writers uh, to uh, the Irish Times Letters page uh, and it'll be interesting to hear what our listeners uh, think of your views as well, Garod. Thank you indeed for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's uh, Garod O'Rion, who is a teacher himself and uh, the founder of Say No to School Uniforms. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to a burglary that happened uh, about half ten at night back in May of 2022. This is a, a case that went before the courts in November of last year and this week it'll see two men sentenced for their part in the break. In Ruth O'Connell of LMFM News uh, joins us now. And Ruth, take us back to what happened uh, on Bachelor's Walk uh, back on uh, that uh, night in May of 2022 because it was a, a very frightening experience, I think, for the woman who was living in that uh, place that was broken into. It's- It was, Michael. Actually, there were two cases that both of these men were sentenced for on Friday. The first one, which you referred to on Bachelor's Walk, it was a woman who's from Romania and she was living um, on the street. It's a one-way street off Clembrassel Street in Dundalk. And 
around um, just before half ten at night they, they came into her house they beat her up one went upstairs and went to search the place and um, she told the guards that she remembered the older man there were, there were one of them was uh, in his 20s the others in, in his 40s she remembered um, the younger man having a baton and he she was hit over the head with it and she couldn't remember if the older man had hit her uh, with um with with his fist or the baton and mm. uh, she, she'd pleaded with them she said she had children she thought that might stop them hurting her and the older man said I don't care and they, they stole about over 2,000 euro in cash her bank cards her two mobile phones and 25 packs of Romanian cigarettes and um, she was unconscious um, she, she came to then um, and raised the alarm and went to hospital mm. for treatment and um, the next day um, the pair entered the home of a man in his 60s at the hill of Down in Enfield. Um, the, it was, this is, this is well, they're both upsetting cases to hear evidence sure. for, but just to warn people, they might be uh, triggered, especially if they're uh, animal lovers. Um, the man uh, had gone out of his home and put the key in his door because he went out to put a bee. He'd found a bee trapped inside and he was going outside to release it. And when the key was in the door, the pair um, got into his home and um, they, they attacked him. He was tied up. Um, I think a pair of tights was used. I think a, a sheet or a pillowcase might have been used to tie his hands. Um, so uh, The older man had stuffed cotton wool into his mouth so he had difficulty breathing and a gesture a stabbing gesture was made to him because they were searching for items to steal and um, the man's elderly Jack Russell Terrier came to his defence and partially deaf came running um, to, to help its owner and he heard uh, one of them kick it and then the dog went silent. So oh. the man was very, very upset, obviously, yeah. thinking he, could, he couldn't come to, to the dog's assistance at all. Yeah. And um, Did he, the dog survive? Uh, well, he, it sustained a, a head, a skull fracture oh. and had to be uh, euthanised oh, oh. a, a week later. Right. So um, this this is still, actually, the man is still traumatised by that aspect of it. But he, he, he never went back home. He's married and he's living in sheltered accommodation now and his, his wife is his carer. Um, he said that the younger man in that instance... Um, there was a bit of humanity about him, but there and actually he was the person who kicked the dog. But he he, he told the guards actually um, that he'd thrown the dog on the floor and the dog hurt itself when it landed. But um, the younger man, the the victim in the um, that that case, had said that he'd a bit of humanity about him, but the other man had none whatsoever. And okay. um, the younger man had actually, when they were leaving, had he'd poured water over him to try and cool him down because was he was so warm. Um, remember, this is a man who's trying to breathe. With his mm. mouth stuffed with cotton wool, and he actually um, had seen a pair of rosary beads, and he took them and put them in the man's pocket and patted his chest. Yeah. So um, that was the the background. So the the older man uh, was jailed for a total of fifteen years. He they got consecutive sentences sentences from Judge Dara Hayes, and the younger man got twelve twelve and a half years with the final year suspended, subject to conditions. The, the court heard that the older man had a number of previous convictions. I think it was seven and uh, they included attempted murder. Oh, OK. Well, 
undoubtedly uh, in everybody's interest to have uh, these people off uh, the streets and it does seem as though they were professional criminals because I think the woman in Dundalk felt that they had been watching her earlier in the day. She did. She noticed them um, up there and she'd gone for coffee in the morning and they were standing up at the top of the corner of the street on Clembrassel Street um, at that stage and again when she was out in the afternoon she'd seen them as well. So they were watching her movements and there's no dear doubt about that and there was a suspicion that they had literally come into the into the country to commit crimes because they were only here a matter of days and very good detective works by the guards in Trim um, through CCTV footage and they were able to identify the car involved and they were able to search a house in um, an apartment in Athlone where they'd been staying and that's where they found the belongings um, from the Bachelor's Walk aggravated burglary. Okay, thank you indeed uh, Ruth uh, for that. Uh, Ruth O'Connell is LMFM's Deputy News Editor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, today. A lot of people in touch with us about uh, school uniforms. One caller saying tracksuits are the way forward. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think everybody likes tracksuits, uh, but perhaps uh, our caller is right and that would solve some of uh, these problems. Uh, mother or mum in Meath in touch uh, on WhatsApp saying the main reason uniforms were brought in was to help with bullying as some kids would have all designer clothes on and other children then wouldn't be able to afford the top of uh, the range and everything and then they'd end up being picked on. Children can be so cruel to each other and uh, this woman says uniforms should definitely stay. Uh, Another WhatsApp message uh, from uh, Deirdre and Kells who remembers years back when she was at school having to wear slippers (laughs) <laughs> I've never heard of that, Deirdre. Having to wear slippers to school uh, and uh, she didn't have slippers and had to go around in her stockings. Uh, the whole thing is stupid, she says, and get rid of uniforms. Uh, another WhatsApp message about that uh, from Joan in County Meath who says, Hi, Michael, tell that man, the teacher you're speaking to, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with school uniforms. Much better that all students look the same going in every day and uh, Joan says uh, he was talking a load of rubbish well thank you for telling us our, our phone number is 0419832000 text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie now it's a long way from Piccadilly it's a long way from Leicester Square and in Ross Grey yesterday 17 women and children were a long way from home but they did not get a warm welcome. Let's speak uh, to local councillor Shane Lee, an independent councillor on Tipperary County Council and Las Corhirlach of Thurlis Municipal District. And a very good morning to you, Shane. Uh, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I think it's true to say that the 17 women and children who tried to get into the Racket Hall Hotel yesterday were not welcome. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd have to reject your comments in relation to that because, in fairness to, I wasn't actually one of the people that was here yesterday, but the people that have been here for the last number of days didn't even get to meet the people um, that arrived here yesterday. And just to say that it wasn't just women and children, that there was men and children also. So I also want to say from the outset that I don't want to paint that message or that image that, you're, that you've just said that the people of Ross Grey have been very welcoming people to the people of international protection and Ukrainian families. 
we currently have two um, sites in Australia that are being um, accompanied by Ukrainian families and international protection applicants. But also just to say that Australia for the last 20 years would have been integrating people into the society from the Polish population or to Ukrainians or Hungarians. That, so like, I, I don't want that message going out. That's not what I represent. And that's not what I've been represented here in Australia for the last number of days. Well, it's so very I, clear. I honestly, anybody have, anybody no. who watched the shameful scenes in Roscray yesterday, uh, it's very clear to anybody who saw what happened uh, that the 17 women and children and men uh, as you point out, were not welcome. No, that's that's not true. And I and I just well, said, what I, were those? I, I, what were people I, outside I protesting I about? I reject, I reject your comments in relation to that. The people outside protesting in relation to we have a fully functioning. We had a fully fully functioning hotel up here on Thursday evening. So like like unfortunately, we have media and someone on, on, like yourself here this morning that's trying to put a spin on the people of Osprey and betray them as to be racist people and like. That car, that has run its course, and that, that's far from the truth of what's happening here in the people of Australia. So I, I reject your comments in relation to that. The people of Australia are protesting here is that we had a fully functioning hotel okay. operating on Thursday yeah. evening. Yeah. And the hotel is, is, a, is an amenity and a service that has been here in the town for a number of years. Yeah. And like that's the reason of the post that's happening here. And to think that you're bringing me onto your radio station to say that that was being the situation as if being racist and all that type of stuff. I reject your comments in relation to that, and that's far from the truth. So and it's not what I have been representing, uh, uh, and it's not what I've been representing for the last number of days. Are you trying to tell me they were welcome? What, what I'm what I'm saying to you is you're you're going you're taking the line of that they're not welcome. I'm telling you that the people that have been here didn't get to meet the family. Well, they either were welcome or they weren't welcome. I'm saying that I, they weren't welcome because no. that was clear to me watching it. Are you trying to tell me that they were welcome? No. no what what you what you're saying to me is that you're you're making an assumption and saying that they weren't welcome. Or what I'm telling you is that the people that were here protesting yesterday did not get to meet the families. I'm not so making an assumption. I'm stating a matter of fact that they weren't welcome no. because there was people outside a building where these... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People were going to move in and try and make a new life for themselves, protesting over the fact that they were moving in there. They were, were very clearly not welcome. But, but, but like the whole management of what has happened here yesterday, you're not interested in seeing me speaking about that at all. You're, you're simply taking one line and you're trying to divide the, the local community with these families, which is certainly the truth, and that's what I'm telling you. What I'm saying to you is the people of Ross Bay 
have went above and beyond to facilitate the people of international protection of Africans and to Ukrainian families. And I'm also saying that prior to that, for the last 20 years, that we've been integrating people in society yeah. that have been very, very welcome. So my message is very clear here to you this morning and very clear to, you, to your listeners. Yeah. So I don't want any um, media outlets putting out a message that the people of Australia are not welcoming because that's far from the truth. Well, and what I'm also saying well, to then, well, then the people of Ross, well, then the people of Ross Cray would want no, to start behaving themselves, no, wouldn't they? No, well, uh, and no, well, obviously, obviously, you have your own agenda and you're trying to push it. My thing, agenda. No, I think you. I, I, I asked you no, a very. No, no, you're far from the truth. I, you're you you're ringing me, and you're uh, exactly what I'm saying to you. I'm coming on your radio station. Of course, Steve, when you ring me to come on to your radio station, yes. you obviously are trying to put out a spin in relation to people of Australia. What I'm saying to you is, there's no, what are you there's on no about? There's no racism. I didn't say here. that people were yeah, racist. But you are. You are. You, I didn't. I said that the they people. didn't welcome you're 17 people. Excuse me. You're betraying the people of Ross Grey. Excuse me, but I didn't say anybody was that's, racist. I said well, that they, they didn't welcome it. If you're that much interested in the people of Ross Grey, why don't you come and meet the people of the town and see exactly what's going on with genuine concerned citizens of the town and genuine families of the town? I'm not going to come on a local radio station and let someone betray the people because that's not what we're about. That's not what I represent. And that's far from the truth. So right. like, by saying that, that, that's very untrue and very unlawful and you're taking away from local democracy. And what I also want to say to you is that we are currently playing our part. Ross Grey has, has been very welcome in relation to what's been happening. You're okay. not interested in speaking about the services of the town. Well, well, you know, you're not well, interested that's... in talking about the hotel here. Well, you're inter- you have one agenda and you're speaking about, you're, you're, you're trying to put a divide amongst the people and, and, and the people that arrive. That's far from the truth. Well, I really only asked you one question, which was, uh, was it true to say that the 17 people moving into that old hotel weren't welcome? And you're saying that that's not correct. Uh, and then when I ask you, were they welcome? You, you talk about other issues. Yeah, but, but, but like, let's talk about the wider spectrum. Why not talk about the why, intimidation why, that the women and children... Why not talk about the intimidation... Why not talk about the intimidation that the women and children must have felt going into that hotel yesterday uh, and using these other issues to try and justify intimidating vulnerable women and children? Should I just say it was it the image? What, what when you speak about the image? Is it the image of the people or the image of the, the community? What, what was the image? Because there has been a big image there, and of course, like that—that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure. To, I, I, you're not, you're not, I'm not sure if that was a problem. I was talking about intimidation. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe yeah, it was so the invitation would, would that come from how it happened, or is it coming from the people? You see, this is what I'm saying. To you. These are genuine families that have genuine interest in their communities and what's going on. I'm speaking about the reason that these people are here is because of their, there's an amenity here that's been fully functioning up to Thursday evening. But you don't, like, at the point I'm also, I'm not trying to come across as arrogant or ignorant towards you, but, like, that's far from the truth. Yeah. And, like, the point I'm also saying to you is, like, if you're talking about integration into society, Ross Grey people and the surroundings have been playing their part, and are playing their part, and, and will play their part, and are welcoming people into society. So, like I'm saying to you is, with 320 or up to 400 Ukrainian families, we also have a, an active site in Sean Ross Abbey. So, like, it's not as if the town is not playing its part or there, there, there's this thing going on that there's people of Oscar with. That's far from the truth. And does, that's what I want to get across here this morning to you and your do, listeners. Does that justify intimidating vulnerable women and children? But I'm, I'm not saying anything about intimidation of any vulnerable women and children. I'm not saying that. What I'm what? saying to you is the reason the people... No, I, I'm people, asking you. I'm asking reason, you about... The I'm, reason the people are here is yeah. protesting is, again, okay. Ross is playing its part. They're talking about an amenity and a service that has been happening in the town, and that's the hotel that's happening here, and that that's about their families and their and and their community. But councillor, and, and ca- will continue and will continue to play its part. That's what I'm saying to this morning. Councillor, are you are you telling me that you don't believe that the women and children would have felt terribly intimidated uh, uh, going into that hotel yesterday? 
do you think there's a responsibility here back to government or back to the minister? Why would like the process has been well? Well, let's talk. Well, 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 let's address the question first, and then uh, 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 talk about who's responsible for it. Do you think they were intimidated? But intimidated by who? By people protesting, saying Ross Cray is full. But you didn't get there. The, the, the protest, my understanding, I wasn't here, so I, I, I can't comment really so, as such on that. But the protesters that you're, you're classing, they didn't get to see the families, or they didn't get near the families. Yeah. But what were they intimidated by? Well, I, I, this what, is my point. What, what I saw uh, on social media was uh, quite uh, a, a lot of uh, people who were unruly, uh, who needed uh, to be brought under control. The Gardaí had to restore law and order. One man was arrested. Uh, I'm sure it, it was dreadful for anybody, particularly people who were fleeing God knows what, whether it was war in Ukraine or one of the other horrible corners in the world uh, where it's impossible to live, to come to Ross Cray to be greeted that way. But sure, look, look, the point I'm making to you is the people that were here for us didn't get to see the family. So, like, I, I just, I, I don't know what way you're going with this, but I'm just saying that's exactly what's going on here. And I, I, the point I'm making to you is, like, you're, you're, like, the message is coming across that obviously you're pushing one side and that's got to do with sort of them and all. That's not the situation. That's what I'm saying to you here. Yeah. Rosprey will always play as part. I'm a continuous player. Okay. Part, so and that's what we're doing. Right, okay. So, so there is no shame in Rosprey. Which I, I like. That's not what I represent, and that's what I've not been seen here for the last number of days. No. Um, well, I, uh, so so nobody feels ashamed that women, vulnerable women it, and children, it, it, were inti- I, were I, intimidated. I'm affording you. I'm affording you the opportunity. I'm affording you the opportunity that someone that's so passionate about what you're speaking about to come and meet the people of Rosprey and see what's going on here with the genuine people that's here. I'm affording you that opportunity to come here this morning or any part of the day and see exactly what's happening on the ground. If you're interested in doing that and you're so passionate about the way you're speaking to me about what's going on, come and meet the people. See if that's the message that comes across to you about racists or, or against this and against that. Like, I'm welcoming you to come. That's far from the truth and that's not what I represent. OK, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us Thank on the programme. Thank, Thank you, you very much. That's Independent Councillor Shane Lee, uh, who is a member of Tipperary County Council and uh, the Lias Cahirlach of Thurlis Municipal District. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul says uh, that last year it helped over a quarter of a million people who made calls looking for assistance. It really is uh, staggering. Nessa Vaughan is uh, the chair of uh, the Social Justice Committee with uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and on the line with us. And uh, a very good morning to you, Nessa, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Why, why was it that people came to St. Vincent de Paul looking for help? Well, as you said, the, 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 the numbers speak for themselves, I suppose, in many ways. And that was a 10% increase on 2022, which itself was a record. And mainly that people are struggling with it as a result of the cost of living uh, crisis that's currently undergoing and experiencing for many. And also there are many people in, in uh, poverty in Ireland. And we saw that even from the most recent uh, CSO survey of income and living conditions. There's around 875,000 people experiencing deprivation. That means they're going without one of the, uh, one of the essentials, uh, adequate nutrition, warm clothing, heating, mm. etc. So it wasn't a great surprise to us, um, but it's, it is unfortunate. But we, we are pleased that we're in a position to respond to help people at least alleviate 
some some of those difficulties they're experiencing. And we're just getting over the Christmas, uh, which was probably uh, easier to get through for some than it was for others. Uh, a lot of people came to you looking for help, I believe. Yeah, about 34,000, uh, we estimated, came looking for help for Christmas. Um, so each year it seems to go up. Thankfully, through the generosity of the public, we were able to respond to people to, to, to hopefully help them have a decent Christmas. Mm. Uh, and with so many people looking for help, uh, uh, it, it goes without saying, uh, I take it, uh, that uh, a proportion of those who sought help from Vincent de Paul are working people. Yes, indeed. Yes, many are working. It's an increasing number of people who are in work and who are experiencing poverty. It's quite a substantial number of those people. So, you know, we, we are calling on some measures to, to, to address that. So, for example, mm. the introduction of the living wage, which we I know government are committed to doing, but that needs to be fast-tracked so that there's a, a floor below which people do not fall. Mm. But because people are more, some people who are more think they, they can't come to us. But of course, everyone who needs help can, can come to us. But are people in Poverty traps too, you know, maybe yeah. don't qualify for anything, but it's time to pay their tax and pay their mortgage or pay their rent. Uh, they mightn't qualify for, um, you know, the various, various subsidies. They mightn't qualify for the um, medical card, etc. Uh, just find the fall just slightly maybe above the, the, the threshold, the cut-off point. And they, they can be experiencing real difficulties and real hardships. I'm sure. Uh, it must be difficult, though, for some people to look for help. Yes, it is. And we know, and I think our President Rose McGowan said it there yesterday, too, that uh, we know that people experience poverty who do not come to us. So, you know, we'd always appeal to people that just to pick the phone up or, or go online. If they find that easier, they can go online and put in a request for assistance. The only criterion we have is need. Mm. Is need. So we're not going to forensically examine their, their bank accounts or their income. We, we sit down and chat with a Christian organisation. So we sit down and, and talk through the, the difficulties they're experiencing and see how best can we help people. Hopefully that's the temporary uh, difficulty. But for however long we, we chat with people um, and see how we can help them. We, 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 ha- we have privileged access to people in their homes. We visit people in their homes. So sit down. And, and have a chat so it's non-threatening mm. non-judgmental Okay, very good uh, and uh, I know that people are very supportive of St Vincent de Paul and will continue to donate for as long as they can uh, and I say that because uh, we've been hearing for a number of years that people who would have donated to Vincent de Paul in previous years ended up somehow in situations where they were looking for help you said that there was an increase yeah. A ten percent increase uh, on calls uh, yeah. in comparison to twenty twenty two. Was it the highest number of calls ever received by Vincent de Paul? Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a record number. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, and probably worth mentioning that uh, people can help and indeed volunteer because as demand grows, uh, undoubtedly you're looking for more people uh, to do the work on the ground. Oh, yes, and, and I'm glad, uh, Michael, you've mentioned that. Yes, we are, we are, we are, we're about to embark on a media campaign uh, to uh, to appeal for people to volunteer uh, who are in the position to volunteer just a few hours a week you know, to do this core work that we do, you know, visit people in their homes, provide some practical support, listen, hear their story. Uh, we, we, we desperately need more volunteers throughout the length and breadth of the country. 
Um, so people are just, uh, they're, they're, you know, not, they don't have to be a professional person or anything like that, just have a right disposition, a charitable outlook, a concern for justice and uh, empathy with people who are experiencing difficulties. Uh, people, they don't go on their own to visit mm-hmm. homes, so they don't worry, ever worry about that. We provide uh, training and support to our volunteers, but we would welcome uh, volunteers uh, from all walks of life, of, of all ages. Okay. Well, it must be rewarding work as well at that because it's great work that St. Vincent de Paul does and I imagine all of us will keep St. Vincent de Paul in mind and support in whatever way we can, if we can. Nesson, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Nesson Vaughan is the chair of the Social Justice Committee with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Now let me bring you some of the comments coming to us this morning. An awful lot of people in touch with us today. One comment coming to us about that court case saying that older man, uh, the older of the two men uh, sentenced there should never be released, uh, following on from Ruth's report this morning. Uh, we've another WhatsApp message uh, from somebody who says, Hi Michael, here we are this morning. It's freezing and extra layers needed, but the minute my secondary school child hits the front door of the school, they're made remove their coat now. That's hail, rain or snow. One reason would be it's not a crested school coat. Believe me, the school coat is, uh, I'm not sure, I think that's a typo. Uh, the HUD doesn't cover their heads. It has no heat uh, and it's a rip-off price-wise. Can't get my head around what harm there is in wearing their own coats. Teachers can wear their coats, scarves, gloves. What makes them different to the students? It takes more than a uniform to have respect and that's another story. Thank you indeed uh, for your message. Uh, another WhatsApp message then for, about Ross Gray. What the councillor is trying to say is Ross Gray is full. Can you not put them somewhere else says Tom. Thanks uh, for that Tom. Um, we'd uh, John in touch um, uh, wondering why we didn't name uh, the people in uh, that report Uh, no there's no legal reason for preventing that that probably was uh, an oversight Uh, I'll find that script that I had a second ago John uh, and name uh, the two people uh, if you wish Uh, and apologies for that Uh, very observant listener uh, Margaret in touch saying Michael I get what the councillor from Tipperary means a community can only take so much it's the only hotel they have and they've done a lot for refugees but that's not taking into account so how do they get their point across apart from standing outside never intend to intimidate anyone, though they did. This is a government mess-up and I've no ties to Ross Craig. Thanks uh, for that, Margaret. Somebody else WhatsApping saying, I totally agree with you, Michael. They weren't welcome. These poor women and children are coming from a war that's absolutely heartbreaking to look at. It's a disgrace on these people. That's uh, Gabrielle who's texting us uh, and uh, she says, uh, go and speak to the women and children uh, and let them tell you what they're going through along with uh, the people that don't want them there. Thanks, Gabrielle. Thanks too to Noel who's WhatsApping us saying, Michael, you met your match with that man from Ross Gray. One man was arrested. A peaceful protest, I would say, because men were supposed to be housed there. I can't understand how 46% of immigrants were single men. 
I don't know why you can't understand it, Noel. It's quite uh, easy to understand. Uh, Dave, uh, WhatsApping us too, saying the owners of uh, the hotel in Ross Gray closed it up and decided to house these refugees because they can make more money by going down this route. They were not interested in the local community and many people have lost their jobs as a result of that decision. The bottom line is the country is full up. We should take no more people until we have uh, accommodation for them, says Dave. I don't know, I think there are 8 million people in Ireland in the famine. Um, (laughs) I don't think Ireland is full. Uh, I think people are deciding uh, that Ireland is full because they don't want people here. Probably people like the person who texted in. This is a remarkable text uh, from somebody who said, without doubt, read... You are the greatest scum that has ever been given a microphone, a pathetic excuse for a human. Well, coming from whoever wrote that and the type of person that they are, I would certainly take that as a huge compliment. Uh, Somebody else, Peter, says uh, Shane Lee in Tipperary put you and your lefty views in place and he's on about mainstream media. Peter, you're in the minority. It's uh, the majority of people who are charitable and understanding and believe that when people are in their time of need that they be given refuge and sanctuary just in the same way that the Irish people were when we went abroad. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the interview how I mentioned it's a long way uh, from Piccadilly and Leicester Square and when the Irish went to Piccadilly and Leicester Square uh, they certainly uh, didn't meet protests like that they met a, a lot of um, discrimination and all sorts of things but they never had to deal with intimidation like that going into their digs and so on uh, somebody else said uh, that fella is a typical politician that's uh, the councillor we were speaking to because our listener says they we're avoiding the question. There's lots more uh, comments. We'll come to them if we can a little bit later on. But thank you indeed for getting in contact with us if you are one of the people who's been in touch with us already today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, a number of uh, people in touch with us uh, as well about Louth County Council and the questions uh, that the council has failed thus far to address despite uh, a long time, well over an hour uh, I understand, given to the issue at Louth County Council's uh, monthly meeting yesterday. Uh, Let's talk uh, about this again, though. I'll come to those comments uh, in a moment or two, but let's uh, talk again with uh, Damien O'Farrell, Dublin City Councillor, who's representing men who, as children, were abused by Christian brothers, sexually abused, raped and tortured by Christian brothers, uh, and uh, the wishes of these men who were at the heart of all of this. Uh, Damien, um, what, what, what do you make of what's happened over the last 24 hours? What are your thoughts this morning? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Yeah, no, I'll give you my thoughts. But first of all, I, I read the statement that the uh, the CEO read into the record of, the, of Loud County Council yesterday. And at the beginning, she brought in abuse victims in her statement. And, and I was a bit... I was a bit disturbed about that, you know, because the last time the the abuse victims or the only time the abuse victims came across her was they, they, they attended the July meeting. I mentioned this in the last time I was here. They mentioned the July meeting and they attended it. And this was about six or seven months they had been building up to this when every fence had been put in their way. So there's quite a lot of tension um, among the victims and their families. Um, 
one victim, one man that was there, he'd lost his son through suicide. He was an abuse victim from the Christian Brothers, the son. And mm. it was it was a lot of tension. And after one of the councillors spoke, um, the you tell me these people had never be, attended a council meeting before, you know. And mm. after one of the councillors spoke, they clapped him, cheered him, clapped him. And they were just bellowed at by from the top table by uh, by Joan Martin, the CEO, that they were to be they would be removed from the room if they did that again. Instead of maybe being nice to them, you know, and say, look, you're, you're very welcome here. There was no welcome. You know, you're very welcome here. This is your first time at a meeting. This is what we do. These are the protocols. There's mm. no cheering or clapping or anything like that, you know. Mm. And that, that's the way you'd, you'd be treated, you know. But it mm. was, there, was a, there was a strong message there that they weren't welcome and they were threatened that they would throw them out. These mm. are victims of abuse. And for her to bring that into her statement, I, and I felt her her whole statement, it was very self-serving. It was very Trump-esque. I, I heard Trump was mentioned on your news. It was very Trump-esque. They were thrown in words like law and legislation. There's only one part of the law. Let me be very clear. There's only one part of the law of legislation that the CEO has to be worried about in regard to this matter. And that's the Local Government Reform Act 2014. And it's section 47. And it details how uh, a CEO... At, What's the duties of a CEO as regards a reserve function? And this was the motion. A civic reward is a reserve function. That's it. Mm. That's all she has to be mm. mindful. So throwing words in like law and legislation when she's disregarded that that mm. piece of legislation. She didn't consult as per her legal advice. She didn't consult with Conor Keelan. He was on your show multiple times telling you that she didn't um, she didn't consult with the council and it was removed. Mm. And that's it. And I'm just I'm, I'm as obliged that. by law. Yes, as obliged by law. And that's the law we need to yeah. be talking and, about. And, and that wasn't explained yesterday. It wasn't. Too, I don't uh, think she was questioned on it at all. As obliged by law, why <laughs> did you not act in line with the law? Yeah. Uh, everything else, uh, it seems, was talked about. Uh, how uh, she felt that she was being attacked personally. Uh, how her officials were being undermined, yeah. how terrible things were being said about them yeah. by Michael Reid on LMFM. Uh, and uh, this programme uh, came under uh, some strong criticism, which uh, is fair enough. Yeah. But it's avoiding the issue. Uh, come on the programme and deal with the issues. Well, she talked about 47 years public service. That's actually a, an apt uh, figure because most of these men that I that I speak on behalf of are in their late fifties, and most of them were abused when they were around ten, yeah. eight, ten. So they've had forty-seven years dealing with this, and they they called out, they reached out to the council, uh, the councillors in Louth for support. Ken Grace reached out, mm. and I'd say he'd be very disappointed to, to see that abuse victims was mentioned in her statement because she'd like he, I'm sure he'd like to come onto your program and, and, and try and give you an idea of what he was reaching out. He was dealing with the brothers. He'd be in a position now to do mm. that because his case is finished. Mm. So he would be in a position to come onto your program. I'm sure he would, and to say what he what he was trying to do, what we were trying to do. We were trying to get some support some publicity for, for the Law Reform Commission to put the speed up the mic, mm. you know, to, to get them moving on this. And they were just sent packing from Loud, sent mm. packing. And they were totally, their rights were taken from them. Mm. The rights were taken from them. Uh, how many brothers did uh, Ken Grace have to sue? Uh, hundred and, uh, I think he was 120. Another guy was 163. Individual Christian brothers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's because of a legal strategy that well, brother Edmund Garvey introduced and oversaw and that's why uh, yeah. the motion was to put uh, to, to rescind that uh, honour from Brother Garvey the Freedom of Drogheda uh, and that 
that might make the Christian brothers stop and think people don't like what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, people think it's immoral. <laughs> yeah. You know, telling the Christian brothers about uh, how to act. Um, well, I heard your last speaker there, yeah. that your last guest, he was from the Vincent de Paul and he yeah. mentioned that he, they were a Christian organisation and then he went on to say how they dealt with people. Mm. Oh my God, you have no idea. You have no idea, Joan Martin, if you're listening to this, how these victims are treated by the Christian brothers. You have no idea. And it's all from choices made by Brother Edmund Garvey. And that's why the freedom of, this, of the thing was removed yeah. from him. And that's why we're here today. And when, that's when, why. when you talk about Ken Graves, he, he was flogged in a, a dungeon, in a dungeon yes. by, 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 by some weirdo with a leather tongue on. Uh, and uh, in order then that that fellow went that brother went to prison he, yeah. he was convicted no doubt he did that it was criminal uh, yeah. the torture rape abuse all that stuff now that was uh, 47 years ago and then the Christian brother said well you can't touch us unless you sue 120 individual old men who are in every corner of the world some of them in nursing homes and so on and then they wouldn't give him the addresses of the Christian brothers so he had to go to court to get the addresses of the Christian brothers and then mm. Christian brothers elderly Christian brothers that have nothing to do with this nothing to do yeah. with this whatsoever yeah. through the choices made by Brother Garvey were receiving summonses high court summonses mm. Yeah. so uh, why did Joan Martin remove the motion um, that would have made this point very strongly uh, well she says it's because of legal advice do you believe her at this stage I can't, look I'm very suspicious I can't really the, the facts they just don't stand up and I, and, I, and I want the councillors, like we've moved past, I think, uh, Joe Martin and, uh, and the officials, you know, um, we're, we're moving past it. It's up to the councillors now. And I'm very disappointed that they didn't question the CEO yesterday. They didn't question her. Mm. Um, and, and we need to be questioning the local, the local Government Reform Act, Section 47. That's it. There's mm. no more. I don't, think there, was, I don't think, the there, I think there was some talk about the Freedom of Information Act. I don't think yeah. there was any mention of the Local Government Act. Uh, there's a couple of uh, that's the one. That's the one act they don't want to talk about. That's what, and, and that, there's no mention of that in, yeah. uh, in Joan Martin's and the CEO's statement. Uh, that's the one thing they want to avoid, as far as, far as I can see. Yeah. Uh, text uh, that came in uh, towards the end of the programme yesterday uh, from uh, a person in London. Uh, I'm an interested party. I'm a man now in my 50s who was sexually abused by Christian brothers in primary school. I've been following the issue of uh, former head of the Christian brothers, Edmund Garvey's Freedom of Drogheda, being rescinded for months on LMFM and in the Irish Times. It looks to me like several councillors and uh, the council leader have forgotten that they're elected by the people to work on behalf of the people to serve the people's interest and reflect their views and opinions. I ask, who are these elected representatives protecting? Who are they operating on behalf of? I'm surprised that the leadership of the main parties are allowing their members elected under their name to behave in this old-fashioned unrepresentative and in my opinion Machiavellian manner the next council elections will have its own story best wishes says uh, that texter uh, and indeed uh, the leader of uh, the council uh, the Cahirlock uh, Paula Butterley uh, will be with us on tomorrow's programme uh, the Cahirlock tells us uh, that she's satisfied now that uh, the council has made itself accountable and she wants to draw a line under this now because it's too much of a distraction and she believes it's time to move on. What do you make of that, Damien? Look, I'm very disappointed um, that the Cahirlock, um isn't going to really 
support other councillors. It's again part of the, the the local government act. What it's all about. It's a tri-party uh, movement. Really, it's between councillors. It's between the public and it's between the staff and it's up to the Cahirlock, I suppose, to knit them all together, to knit them all together. And Councillor Keelan and Councillor Yore and Councillor Bernie Conlon were absolutely, totally disrespected and disregarded when their motion was taken off. And they were representing members of the public. Ken Grace's family is from Louth. They were representing members of the public. They had access to a local authority meeting and it's up to the Cahirlock to defend their right, I believe. But look, um, uh, Councillor uh, Butterley is coming in here tomorrow um, and, and, I, and I thank her for that and uh, let, let's listen to what she has to say herself um, but look I'd be very disappointed she is she she has the authority now to get legal advice uh, what, what the what the what the CEO said about councillors getting the, le- their own legal advice, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that and, and the CEO knows that mm. it's the councillors um, instruct the CEO to get them a second legal opinion in matters re- regarding a reserve function and they can get a second legal opinion to say first of all was the CEO correct in, in removing the motion from the CLAR and second of all is she correct in with, in withholding the information and I think any reasonable councillor I mm. think any reasonable councillor that was looking in uh, looking to try for the, for the public interest mm. would be in favour of that so I'd like to see Possibly the Cahorlock put that onto the agenda no, of, no. Uh, of the next meeting. It would be better mm. if it came from the Cahorlock and was supported from the Cahorlock. And it'd be good information going forward for the councillors to have. It'd be no harm. But I can imagine other councillors will, will do that anyway. So the will that that motion, mm. I, I'd imagine, will be on the on the claw of the next uh, of the next loud council, okay. council meeting. Perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, and I'm sure the Cahorlock uh, would have uh, good legal insight into all of this, given that she's a, a barrister herself. Uh, we'd John texting us uh, yesterday evening, in fact, uh, saying uh, he wanted to follow up on uh, the statement made by the chief executive, uh, Joan Martin. Uh, uh, she sought legal advice about this motion. And John says, surely as the public or the taxpayer paid for this vice, advice, the publicly elected councillors should see it. Uh, and he says, uh, speaking of barristers, Councillor Kevin Callan was very free with his legal advice at various times. And I'd hate to think that uh, that's where the legal advice uh, came from to the CEO of Louth County Council. Well, I remember um, Councillor Kevin Callan uh, earlier last year uh, at a council meeting <clears throat> insulted, I suppose, the representatives of victims and victims by saying that we're trying to turn Loud County Council into a kangaroo court. Well, a kangaroo decision was made by the CEO of Loud County Council when she removed that motion from the agenda without any consultation with the council. That was a kangaroo decision. And what are you going to do about it, um, Councillor Callan? You're a public representative. Are you just going to ignore the public yes. that you represent? Yes, yes. And I'd ask the same question. No, no, no. The, an- the answer appears to be yes. Councillor Callan is going to ignore the public through this medium, at least, uh, because yeah. uh, he's not responded to any calls, texts, emails, or anything, uh, any efforts uh, we've made in recent times uh, to make contact with Councillor Callan. Uh, and uh, indeed, I understand that Councillor Callan said he was 100% satisfied with uh, the explanation given by Joan Martin at uh, the council meeting yesterday. Uh, and we contacted uh, Councillor Callan to ask uh, if he could explain the logic of coming to that conclusion, uh, he never responded. Uh, and I have a feeling he's not talking to us, to be honest. 
Yeah, I'm surprised he is a public representative, to be honest, because I don't see... Well, he's a public representative because he was elected by the people who voted for him. The last time, I suppose, yeah. Okay, well, uh, and people will make their own decisions. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, uh, and uh, I'm sure he'll enjoy a lot of uh, support, uh, uh, as he did last time, won two seats uh, and gave one of them uh, to a person uh, who he selected in... There's actually, it's actually, there's a lot of talk about a pact I hear from the council. Maybe another day yeah. we could talk if you if you wish to what what a pact is. I'm, mm. As I said, I'm a councillor in Dublin, and we have pacts down in Dublin as well. I heard Councillor Maeve Yor on LMFM News yesterday saying that the pact worked together. Yeah, they work together. I suppose mainly to secure the main jobs, the main moneyed jobs on the council, uh, the mayor, mayoralties, or whatever you know, to, yeah. to, to, to the functions, and they trips they stick together. And it's not just loud. This would be all over the country. Yeah. And then it was an interesting thing. People would, would may, may never vote for a certain party, but the, the people they vote for then elected could be Sinn Féin, could be Labour, could whatever. Those mm. councillors then will go and vote in the Shannon elections for a party that the original voter would never vote for. It's it's, it's quite interesting. And coming mm. up to your local elections, I think your electorate, it's something that they would be maybe interested yeah, in. I think so. We could, have it, we could talk about that again. Yeah. But this pact is a very... Um, it, but it's it's all around the country and it's mainly party. It's party political. It's usually party people are in the, mm. are in the pact, you know. OK, all right. Uh, so uh, you're calling on councillors to keep this issue live. Absolutely. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. As I say, the Cahirlock will be with us here tomorrow. And thank you indeed for joining us once again. Damien O'Farrell, Dublin City Councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Catherine Patterson of Dundalk Garda Station joins us for this week's report and thank you for doing so. We're going to start with some criminal damage that occurred in Carlingford at the beginning of the year. Good morning, Michael. That's right. So we'll start the bulletin off today with a criminal damage incident which took place in Carlingford on county, in County Lies. Um, it took place, it was damage to a vehicle which took place in the Oyster Fort area of the village on the night of Thursday the 4th of January. The owner of the vehicle, which was a black Dacia Sendero, parked the vehicle in the Oyster Bay area on the night of the 4th. And when she woke the next day, she discovered that the wing mirrors of the vehicle had been smashed. The tyres had been slashed and the number plates broken. So Guardian Carlingford and Dundalk are requesting that any witnesses, including anybody who may have dash cam, mobile phone or CCTV footage, contact Dundalk at Garda Station. And the number in Dundalk is 042 the next incident uh, also occurred on uh, the 4th of uh, January. This was a hit and run in Mornington. That's right, Michael. So, Guardian Mornington and County Meath are appealing for the public's assistance in the identification of the driver who struck a young female who had alighted from a bus in the Gara Road area at approximately 7pm that evening, the 4th of January. The female was attempting to cross the road when she was struck by a dark-coloured vehicle which was driven by a male. Now, the male did spot, stop momentarily and he spoke to the female briefly before leaving the scene. The injured female suffered serious bruising as well as a broken arm and was taken to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda for medical attention. Investigating Gardaí are in the process of harvesting CCTV from the vicinity but would like to speak to anybody who may have witnessed the collision or anyone who thinks they may have captured the collision or the vehicle involved on their dash cam footage. 
If you can assist us, then we would urge you to contact Leitang Garda Station. And the number there is 041-981-3320 or indeed any Garda Station that's convenient to you. Indeed. And uh, perhaps if uh, the driver of uh, that vehicle is listening, they may... Uh, choose to come forward themselves. Um, we're going to Ashburn in County Meath now, uh, where there's a report of some tools being stolen. Yes, Ma- uh, Michael. So again, this incident also took place on Thursday, the 4th of January. Um, Ashburn Gardaí are investigating this. It's a theft of tools, um, which were worth quite a substantial amount of money. Um, the theft took place in the evening of the 4th of January at 6.55pm. Tools were taken from a van which was parked at a premises um, close to the N2 or R132 roundabout in Ashburn. Investigating Garda are particularly interested in any sightings of a dark Volkswagen Golf. We do have a partial registration of that vehicle. It starts with the 07G, so 07 Golf. Um, we believe there were four males on board and this vehicle may have travelled towards the old N2. We would request that anyone who may have been present or anybody who was driving in the location at the time check their dash cam to see if they captured anything which may assist in the investigation. Or if you were present in the area, did you notice anything strange or untoward? Did your car's dash cam maybe pick up something that might cause suspicion? Um, uh, as always, the information can be passed on to the investigation team by contacting Ashburn Garda Station or, as always, the Garda Confidential Line. And I'll maybe just give out the number for sure. the Garda Confidential Line, Michael. It's uh, 1800 travel 6 travel 1. 1800 travel 6 travel 1. And that can be used um, for assistance in any of our investigations. Very good. Uh, next to North Louth, well, to uh, I suppose any corner of uh, the region, really, uh, where Gardaí are advising caution about people calling to the door uh, and offering to do some work about the place. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose, as you say, it refers to everywhere, but we have seen an increase in this type of behaviour in the North Louth area um, over the recent amount of weeks. So in particular, BlackRock and the Heaven Moor, Persons have been calling, um, offering services such as car washing and tarmacking. Um, and those involved in this type of behaviour are in particularly targeting vulnerable elderly people who they believe are residing um, on their own as such. So the typical behaviour is that um, these people would call and would often carry out shoddy work and charge extortionate amount of um, money for the, this work being completed. Um, they can be extremely intimidating um, and we would urge your listeners not to engage with any cold callers and only to employ persons that you know or trust to carry out work in your home. Please don't open your door before you know who's at the door and find out what business anybody who's at your door has at your door. Always ask for ID um, and anybody from any reputable company or from a utility company will always carry ID on them. Don't ever be afraid to contact ourselves or the company that the caller purports to be representing because any legitimate employee won't have any issue with this. Um, If you do notice anything suspicious in the area that you live in or you believe you've been a victim or you've witnessed this behaviour, then please contact your local Garda station or again the Garda Confidential Link.
Okay, and we'll just remind people listening uh, that if they'd like to be a guard, uh, they can do so now up to the age of 50 and jobs are being advertised as part of a recruitment campaign on publicjobs.ie. We leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed. Garda Catherine Patterson in Dundalk Garda Station. That's our programme for today. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael. Chris was in the control tower and God willing we'll all see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.